What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Coach Andrea and Jody. Thank you guys, as always, for being here. Andrea, how is your week going? My week's been good. Uh, Training and diet have not changed one bit still. I'm still just kind of creeping along at like a half to three quarters of a pound per week and just just still going. (laughs) Okay. So about the same as always. Yes. I wish I had more exciting news to share on here, but it's always just the same. (laughs) Okay. Okay, cool. Well, regardless, I'm glad that there is still some form of progress being made there. Jody, how has your week been? The week has been good. And Andrea, I appreciate that you are the queen of consistency. So you're leading by example, right? Just continue progression and just staying, staying the course. So kudos. Um, I am well, you know, as most of you know, Andrea does do my programming, uh, my training, which I was a little off last week, but I started this week um, back with my head in the game and excited. There's not very many times that I'm not into training throughout my lifetime. And the last week or two has not been easy to get through. Um, So I'm feeling good and I'm just excited to get after it. So that's, that's about it. Cool. Good. I'm glad you're feeling better this weekend. I know you guys deloaded recently. I really think that motivation to train is one of the best metrics as far as, and I do think this varies a lot by person because I also think like it's very normal for us to just have like a day, a couple days where we don't have very much motivation to train. But I also think like when it is like, man, I normally love training and I'm just not feeling excited about it. I'm feeling absolutely smashed and just run down. Like oftentimes that is just, Hey, we may need to just pull back on stress, be it training stress, be it like, and oftentimes we can't pull back on life stress. So oftentimes it is like, Hey, we do need to pull back on training stress a bit. So I think like that's just to uh, kind of validate that that is a very normal thing to have to go through. And that's where like, sometimes we will be a little bit more reactive with deloads and scenarios like that. And another good reason to have a coach. I mean, Andrea was great about walking you through, you know, it's just, it's another thing. It is a stressor on your body. So we need to pull back at one place or another and to not worry, which she already knew about, um, you know, progression, you know, you want to keep making gains and, and sometimes you, you're, you screw yourself, like, as far as like your mindset where you're like, Oh, if I low, then I'm just not going to progress. And so even her being able to walk me through some of those irrational, um, beliefs, um, is helpful. So yeah, so I'm ready to push it. That's when I feel that that objective opinion is so valuable. I know we talked about this where like, I did the same thing with Brandon a couple of weeks ago where it was like, he had me just skip just a single training day we increase food we pull back steps and it was like if it was me i would have been like no i'm not being soft like i can train through it i'm fine but it was like man after that i felt so much better and my digestion improved so much like i'm so glad we did that but even if i was coaching myself i wouldn't have been able to be objective enough to do that but i'm glad you're feeling better this week and the week is going better um my week so far has been a pretty solid one i would say been quite a bit going on stress has been a little bit higher but outside of that Fat loss phase is still going very, very well. Um, let's see. I think I'm on week six, almost week seven with Brandon. We're down from 199 to 189 now. So I'm feeling pretty lean. Um, strength is hanging in there very well. And I, I haven't been, I haven't been this lean since like early 2019. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling a decent bit more jacked than last time I was here, especially with lower body, which has been great. 
Um, honestly, I feel like this is one of the easiest diets I followed. I know last time I got this lean, I was very much taking a lot more flexible approach. And this was, that was like the last time I got this lean was me prepping for my first photo shoot. And that was a big deal for me because it was the first time I had like been able to get myself to really, really follow through with things to this extent where it's like, I'm taking it to a high level because I was just so sick of like, at that point, that was really when like this side of things, and this was really mostly through 2018. And then I did my first photo shoots early 2019. But at that point, it was like, man, if I'm going to be working with clients that want to get extremely lean, like how can I tell them like I can get you there if I've never even been able to do it myself? So like that for me was like such a transformative experience. I'm kind of just getting off on a tangent here. But within that, like the first time I did that, it was very much like flexible. It was when I still lived in Nebraska. I was drinking a lot more alcohol. There was like college game days. We were like going out, drinking, like trying Lots to work out. What's that? Lots of corn. Oh yeah. Just smashing on corn, harvesting <laughs> corn, husking. The- <laughs> no, I didn't actually eat that much corn. Um, I, I do really enjoy some corn on the cob though. But anyways, um, and it's been interesting. I was, it was a very flexible approach. Whereas now it's again, been a meal plan. And like we were talking about, like there's been, I think in the last six weeks, there've been two deviations where I've had not from like the actual macros, but just from the meal plan in itself. Of course, I've still made it work within the macros, but I've eaten like a piece of sea bass twice. And I've worked in a glass of wine twice, like within a meal. And that's been, but it's crazy to see, honestly, like last time I did this from like 200 into the 180s it was just like this epic journey right where it's like it took me months to do it it was such a grind it felt so hard and it's interesting like how much easier just like one the skill of dieting gets over time i don't know if two is part of just like i'm getting old now and (laughs) we don't like go party and things nearly as much as we used to but it's just interesting to see like how much easier it can be but also again like i think that just is more merit to the idea that when we are in dieting phases, and again, it's all about the trade-offs you're willing to make. It's 100% okay if you don't want to like give up those things, right? If you want to go out two to three times a week, but it is going to make it more challenging. It is going to slow your progress down. Whereas like, if you're okay with, if you want to make the quickest possible progress and you're okay with whatever trade-offs come with that, then like, again, like taking a much less flexible approach like I'm doing now is probably the ideal way to do it. Again, if you, if you, it's, I will do whatever to make the quickest possible progress. Kind of just a tangent there, but yeah, that's my weekend in a nutshell. So are you going to um, throw up a picture of yourself on social media for all the listeners? You keep talking about how how lean you are. I don't want to disappoint anybody. I feel like I need to wait till I get a little <laughs> bit more shredded yet. Stop it. <sighs> we'll see. Maybe. I honestly, I don't think I've actually posted like a physique update in like two and a half years. Yeah, let's it has go. Been an, it has been an interesting like... I've taken a lot from this. I mean, when I was working with, I've learned a lot over the last two years, even and like my approach to building phases, I think has shifted a lot where even like at that time, like 2020, it was very much like, Hey, the more advanced we get, the more we need to push weight and be more aggressive with our rate of gain, like 2020, early 2021, that's kind of where my head is at. And like, since then I've learned it's actually probably the opposite, right? We have less potential to gain muscle as we get more advanced. So it probably makes sense for us to see a slower rate of gain. So, I mean, like at the end of my time at the end of 2020, like we had pushed it all the way up to where I was in the mid two thirties. So it is kind of like, a, I would like in retrospect, I would definitely never get, I don't think I'm ever going to get that fluffy again. And I don't think it was necessary, but again, like at the time it's cool to just like, see how like your approaches change over time as you learn more. So 
Um, but as far as yeah, the Zeke update, we'll see. Maybe I honestly just might not post anything at all about it. All right. Well, listen, speaking of feeling fluffy, I'm going to go ahead and hop our uh, jump into our first question uh, to transition. The first question is, uh, been on a build for over a year now, and I just feel fat. It's the first time doing this and failed. I'm not sure um, what the context of failing means, but um, Jeremiah, that was a question from you. Do you have any more background on that? I don't have any more background on it, but I would love to dig into it. So first of all, you definitely didn't fail. Like, I mean, even if we look at what I was just talking about now, all that we did intentionally, but like right now, again, I'm shit. I'm 46 pounds lighter than I was at the peak of like my building, what a year and a half, two years ago. Right. And I was definitely a lot fluffier during that time. I for sure gained some muscle. And the, the thing is like, you also don't know how much muscle you've gained during this time. That's the hard thing about a building phase is understanding that no matter what, we almost always will get a little bit fluffier. Now, again, like as I've alluded to, like my thought process has shifted much more towards hey, probably like taking a more lean gains approach is more ideal, but still we're going to gain some body fat during that time. And the thing about a building phase is you really don't see the fruits of your labor until you've gone through the fat loss fit until you've gone through the building phase and then gone through a subsequent fat loss phase. Right. And then it's when we're getting to the point where it's like, Hey, okay. Last time I was this lean, let's say I weighed 185. Now I weigh 190. Hey, I definitely built some muscle there. Right. I'm heavier, but my body fat is about the same. Or like when I'm the same weight as I was previously, man, I look so much leaner and I clearly have a lot more muscle tissue. But the thing is like, we don't actually see that at the end of the building phase. It's very normal for almost everyone. And this is just the unfortunate reality of it. It's very normal for almost everyone, like across the course of a building phase. Well, yes, we are like, and it, this is part of why it's important to also look at your strength metrics, right? Like how is your strength increasing on our key lifts across the course of this phase? Are we consistently getting stronger? Are we consistently getting good pumps, good disruption? Because those are going to be our best signs of progress. And we should be slowly gaining some weight over time as well in most cases. But outside of that, like, again, it's pretty normal for us to just be like every round of progress pictures is like, uh, every month I just look like a little bit fluffier because well, we may be building some muscle. We're also gaining some body fat alongside that. We're just going to cover up any definition you see. So honestly, it's pretty normal at the end of the building phase to not be like, man, I look, my physique looks so much improved, but rather like I look a little bit fluffier and it's hard for me to tell if I'm actually more jacked or not. Right. We really don't see the fruits of our labor until the end of the following fat loss phase. So I think that's an important thing to understand first and foremost, but secondly, understand like you can't really fail at this entire process. Right. I would say if you were training hard, if you were eating plenty of calories, it's almost inevitable that you probably built at least some muscle. So that in itself, like the only way this could turn into a failure is if you start telling yourself, man, I failed. What's the point? And then it's like, you fall off your training, your nutrition for the next couple of months. Right. And then you might lose all the muscle you gain and end up right back where you were three months, six months down the road, from road, uh, whatever prior to this that's really the only way we can fail, right? Is if we kind of quit at this, because no matter what, like we learned something from it. And again, you probably did build some muscle, but I would be very cautious of like looking at the building phase as the end point of it, right? Where again, to really see the progress you've made, you probably are going to have to go through a fat loss phase. It's very rare that like, it's almost always like in our, in the phasic approach that we use, it's almost always like, 
where using a building phase to set you up for the end of your next fat loss phase to have an improved physique versus the end of your previous fat loss phase. It's pretty rare that a building phase is like the end point where someone just wants to maintain that. So my thoughts there. Andrea, anything to add? I really feel like that covered it pretty thoroughly. I have talked through this with a couple of clients lately, like thinking about starting a building phase and just have to like really remind everyone, like you probably will not see the difference that you are wanting to see for a while until like Jeremiah said, you've gone through the whole build phase and then gone through the dieting phase. I think that starting a build phase, you feel like going to start this and just like see them being packed on, but it's really not the case. Like you just feel like you're, you're a little bit fluffier because you have all these, all the carbs and all the salt and all the food coming in. And then once you finally like spend months and months in that, and then go through a dieting phase, that's where you can kind of like uncover the work that you've done. But I, I for sure wouldn't think that she's like failed at, at this um, build phase. Yeah. A building phase is very much a game of delayed gratification and you have to be okay with that, right? Where for a lot of people, honestly, a lot of people get stuck in a place where it's like, hey, maybe the thing you do need to do to have a different physique a year from now versus where you're at right now is enter a building phase and be okay with the fact that for six to eight months, your physique might not look like quote unquote better than it does right now. But after that full-length fat loss phase, it will. But sometimes people aren't okay with like accepting that delayed gratification because like continuing to like try to get leaner and the moment feels better. But again, oftentimes people in the same scenario want more muscle in their frame. But again, like we have to be okay with the idea that it it is going to take a lot of delayed gratification. And again, it's often looking at what's going to be the best move for my physique a year from now versus like in the next couple of weeks. Um, But I don't know if I have any other thoughts on that. A good transition to that is the next question. What are some resources or tips for mindset or mental blocks? Andrea, you want to take this one? Sure. So resources or tips for mindset. I I don't know if I have a lot of good resources for that. I feel like this is almost asking about like motivation. It sounds like that's kind of like where this is coming from. So with that, like motivation comes from taking action. I feel like a lot of people will will say like, well, I'll get started when I feel motivated or at least like think like I'm going to get started on this when I feel like all my ducks are in a row and I feel like motivated to get it done. But motivation is actually a result of like checking off boxes. So anytime I feel like in a slump or unmotivated, I know that I just need to start focusing on like some action items that I can do to check off boxes. And with clients, even like in, in seasons where they're feeling unmotivated or they feel like the mindset just isn't right. We will actually like a lot of times change what the target is like for example target calories um for a few people lately i've just like expanded that target for them to a large range so that then you can start checking off some boxes consistently like go seven for seven that week hitting that target even though it's easier and it's expanded just the act of being able to say you check that box every single day is really good for building the 
motivation level. And then from there, it's a lot easier to get the ball rolling on things again. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have any good resources or like books or anything like that that I can recommend, but that's always what I'll recommend is just like, start, start finding ways that you can take a box consistently and you'll start feeling like you're in a better mind that have more motivation. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, I will say from a resource perspective, I think one of the most helpful books for me as a whole around my mindset has been the book Loving What Is by Byron Katie. And definitely I would recommend the audio book over like the written, like reading the physical copy here. I Because to tie into this, I really think one of the most valuable skills for most people is just the ability to question their thoughts and not immediately like take a thought as being true, right? So one of the most helpful things about this book is it has this whole series of questions where like, it's working through like, okay, we, we see a thought. Is that really true? Can I absolutely know that that's true? What's the opposite of that? And there's this whole series of questions that are called the work where it is so often, I think like we just take like the first thought that comes to mind is, okay, this has to be true, right? Where it doesn't have to be true unless we act on it. Or like oftentimes even like us, like trying to fight so hard with reality where I'll say this, like loving what is, that has probably been, and I'm, I'm literally listening to it right now. I think at least twice a year, I re-listen to this book because so much like around stress and anxiety, it really helps me just reframe things. Um, so that's been one of the most helpful books there. And I would say as a whole though, like, again, on a similar note, like I've had this conversation with so many clients where we can just question, like, because so many people will be in a place where it's like, okay, well I overate on this meal. So I failed. Right. So the rest of the day is screwed. The rest of the week is screwed. I fell off once again. Right. Where if you can just top and ask yourself, like, hey, is that really true? Often then we can like take a second, be objective and like, hey, no, I know I went like maybe 500 calories over on this meal. So maybe like I was at maintenance today versus in a deficit. If I just get back on track tomorrow, right? Like that's still six days of progress and one day of maintenance across the course of the week. That's still like I move the needle forward to a large degree. So I think that is something that is very, very helpful. Again, just the ability to like be more objective and question your thoughts, because otherwise I think if we can't do that, we're just constantly just like up and down, up and down based on whatever the first thing is that comes to our our head, which is just such a stressful way to live in my opinion. Um, Outside of that, a couple of other books I found super valuable. Um, Andrea, I know you actually weren't as big of a fan of these books as I was, but the book Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield was one that I really enjoy alongside the war of art, which is basically, again, just kind of conveying this idea that there's always going to be resistance there every single day. I think people think that, or a lot of times, like I think a thought process that sets people up for failure is thinking that they will find their motivation and then there won't be resistance to take action anymore. Right. Whereas we can understand like, no, that's not ever going to be the case. That resistance is always going to be there, but we have to show up and be willing to like fight through that every day. Um, that's extremely valuable as well. And then finally, I think just asking, okay, who is the person that I want to become kind of similar to Andrea's. And then like, what's the gap between their actions, that person I want to be, how do they handle this day? And what are my actions currently? Right. Right. Like what's the disparity between the actions? Because again, like we all have this kind of vision of who we're going to be in the future. We're going to be more disciplined. We're going to have whatever things, but until we start acting as that person, we don't become that person, right? And it's easy to think like, hey, I'm going to be more motivated in the future and then I'm going to be like this more disciplined person. But unless we, like, we'll never get there. It'll always be this person in the future. Unless we start acting like that person 
today. So I think that like that in itself, like for me, most every day I will sit down and journal, just think of that. Like, who do I need to become? And then who do I need to be today? Right. And that'll work through like, okay, I know that like one of my habits is I waste time on social media. Okay. That's one thing that like that person I need to be, you can't do that today. I need to be a, a better leader today, whatever it may be. I think just taking some time to think through that, like how does that person act and how do I need to carry that over into today um, is super helpful. But Jody, I think you would have some good insight into this as well. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything that you guys have said. I think mindset and then mental blocks are two different things. A lot of times mental blocks are going to be coming from like feeling stressed or overloaded. And in that sense, I think, you know, everything that you've said, you have to sort of um, compartmentalize that stuff and then develop a plan from there, you know, small steps at a time. Um, As far as mindset, I always feel, as you've said, you know, seeing your best self, um, you know, um, not dwelling in some of those feelings, kind of taking an action plan and step, um, positive affirmations, um, and then two of the books that I like, and I think it's just because they're very readable is, um, just mindset, which is by, um, Carol Dweck. It's an, it's an older book, but still, um, some updates and very applicable. And then I've always liked, um, Simon Sinek, uh, start with why have you guys read Great that? Book. Yeah. I love that book. Yeah. I love that too. Um, So, you know, I think it's something that we all struggle with, um, but it's really how you sort of, it's that metacognition, right? Like how you handle all of um, your thinking and then taking the steps and actions plans from there. Mm -hmm. I think honestly, just like having open conversations with other people around this is one of the most helpful things. I know at least for me, like having other friends who do what I do and realizing like they have the same struggles, they have the same struggles with motivation, with all these things. That in itself, because I think people a lot of times just feel alone in this. And this is always something I try to convey to clients as well. Like, hey, no, it's normal to feel like this. You're not broken because you feel like this. This is what everybody faces, right? It's not like the motivation is what separates you from someone else. It's much more so like, hey, are you willing to build better habits, willing to build a better environment? Or are you willing to be okay with sometimes just not being motivated and taking action anyways? Cool. I I like, uh, it reminds me of a quote that, Uh, It's a Jeremiah quote, and I carried it with me a lot, but it's confidence is built after doing the hard things. And I think it's, again, like that mindset is that we will get, we will get stuck and things will be hard. But when you push through that stuff and you get the rewards from it is where you get solidified in, in those habits and rewarded. Oh, absolutely. And that's such a great point as well. Like I was talking to one of my clients the other day who's just started her podcast and it was about having guests on. And she was like, yeah, I just am waiting to build my confidence up a little bit so I can start like having guests come on. It's like, hey, I guarantee you until you have your first couple of guests on, you're not going to feel confident. Right. And it's, but I think that that kind of carries over to most everything in life. Yeah. Cool. Well, I love this next question and I feel like we've answered it in to some degree. Um, but we were asked, can you share more commonality commonalities that you have with your clients regarding any progressions, strengths that you have, pitfalls or issues just with training and nutrition? Yeah, um, we can kind of go back and forth. I think the motivation is a big one that stands out to me where I will say like there are, there are honestly very few times in my fitness journey anymore where I feel just super fired up to see 
like a physique change or like I feel like it's kind of just like my routine, but it's not like a man, I am so damn excited for okay. I do like lay in bed sometimes and think about training, so I can't necessarily <laughs> say that's true. But there are so many times where it's like, man, I just don't feel motivated to do this, right? But it's again like I know regardless, I'm gonna take action. I'm still going to do it because I know this aligns well is what aligns most with the person that I want to be. And like, when I look back at how I lived my day, like, I know this is like, what's going to make me the happiest or like feel most proud of like the man I was today. So I think like from a motivation perspective, as again, like this is something I talk through with a lot of clients. I think that that is a very normal thing. Um, Andrea, do you have anything before we come back to me there? Um, I, I really like the question of who's the person that I want to be because I feel like I have to use that a lot. That's something that I thought about too and kind of forgot on, on that previous question until you brought it up. Um, I I feel motivated to train a lot. I don't feel like that's something that I struggle with. Often there are like obviously like the odd times where I don't. For me, I my like default bad habit is just grazing on things throughout the day instead of having like structured meals. So that's the thing where I can, can kind of go off track and have to set up systems around. I I don't have a problem eating healthy food really consistently. Like I love healthy food. I don't have a problem with, like I said, motivation to train, but for me, it's just that like grazing kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to add to that. That's probably my biggest pitfall. And I was talking to a new client yesterday and it's so relatable, especially having kids and sometimes you're snacking um, on their food. And I loved that this client had said um, that she, you know, she has a bad tendency of binge eating at night and my stress level was high this last week. And I found I was like snacking when everybody was sleeping. Um, And And, you know, we're human and it happens, you know, luckily I was able to like stop that before it became like a nightly habit, but that was all things that I learned through coaching too, you know, like take a walk, do something else, pop some gum in my mouth. I actually had tea the last two nights to prevent me, it seems to prevent me from, from snacking, but it definitely is my go-to to to, like seek, um, seek comfort in food. Uh, so definitely relate to that. Jeremiah, you were going to add something else? Um, I think my other thing would be, I honestly do terribly if I don't have accountability. I don't love that. That's something that kind of frustrates me about myself. But like, if I don't have, especially with my nutrition, I will speaking to like before, like how easy it has been with me, like not being flexible. If I don't have accountability to that, like, again, like it's, I thought I was going to take this last stretch on my own. And then like, after a week of like going by myself, it's like, Hey, I'm basically just programming hopping. I'm changing so many things within my own training. I'm not as consistent with my, like, it's so much easier for me to rationalize like, okay, we can go work in tacos or like, I really love food and alcohol. So within that, like, if I don't have accountability, I typically don't do very well with those aspects of it also. Um, I kind of feel like have this is like read uh, any of Gretchen Rubin books. I have not. Okay. Uh, so that's something that we need to talk about because that would be helpful with clients as well. So she has the four tendencies. So this is also who I got the um, moderator versus abstainer thing. The four tendencies, I'm not going to remember them all, but there's questioner, abstainer, ab- or no, questioner, upholder, 
And then I can't remember the other, but that would definitely be like an upholder kind of a thing where you have someone check in on you and you don't want to let them down. Oh, absolutely. That's like yeah. when I'm much more like a questioner, like I need to know the why, tell me why and explain it. And then I'll be like good to go on it. But if I don't feel like there's a good reason for it, then <laughs> it's not good enough for me. That's definitely how I am in coaching where it's like, Hey, just put the plan in front of me and I will follow it to a T. I'm not going to miss. I like hate feeling like I'm like, if it's someone I respect and look up to, I hate feeling like I'm like letting you down. Like I want to be your best client, but I don't do nearly as well if I don't have that, which is why like, honestly, that's a big part of why coaching changed my life so much is because it did help me get out of my own way so much. And I think it's a big part of why it's so valuable for so many other people. Um, does anyone, I feel like this kind of turned into like the, the thing from the office where it's like, I work too hard. I like, what are your biggest weaknesses? <laughs> I work too hard. I, anyone else, no, anyone else I, to add to that? No, I, I feel like I am like naturally to, like on the lazier end of the spectrum. And I know that whenever I ask myself, like, who do I want to be? That is something that I hate. <laughs> like yeah. it drives me nuts. So I very much so use that question to like, do like get out and do the yard work and clean the house and get all my work done. And I just don't want to ever let somebody think like what I feel like my natural tendency is, is to be like more on the lady side. So I feel the exact same way, but that's funny because that's the exact opposite that I think of you. Like, I think you're one of the most hardworking, like productive people that I know. So it's funny that that's what you think of yourself. I feel like we're all like, there's an insecurity behind it. And then you like are to outwork that so that no one else thinks that same way about you, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Well, that's good insight, that is very good insight. Cool. Anything else to add to that one? The only thing that I was going to say too, and it's something I relate to when talking with clients and it's something I learned even for myself last week, right? It's like, I'm in, I'm in this world. I'm in this business. I know what the right things to do planning food. So last week when things were stressed and I felt like a little out of control and maybe had those mind blocks, I wasn't planning. And so I was eating um, and I'm in maintenance. So I really, I have more calories and you feel like you have more flexibility, but through all of that stress and not planning or feeling like planning is just another thing. I found that I was probably overeating potentially, um, but it was also like a lack of I just didn't feel a good sense of control. And I think when I'm stressed and overwhelmed, it's nice to have a little bit of control on something. So mm -hmm. even this week where I was able to just take, take the extra five minutes and plan, it makes me feel so much better. So I think just that relatability is sometimes you don't want to plan, but it really, it sets such a structure and makes things better to just put that work up, work in upfront. Absolutely. I would say one other to be like a little bit more of a weakness for me is again, like I, this is part of why I've enjoyed having a meal plan so much. If it's just like, I'm left to my own macros, I'm really you bad. Would, you would do mustard and Splenda if you were left to your own macros? <laughs> I probably wouldn't eat salad if I was left to my own macros. It's like, I'm really bad at working in like fruits and veggies if I don't have someone specifically holding me accountable to that. And that's part of why like for me, like it's so beneficial to have someone like not just like, hey, yeah, you know their macros, but rather like let's look into food quality as well. Because then like it's it holds me so much more accountable to that. And that's also a big part of why like I like to make sure I'm looking through clients' food logs as well as like, hey, I know how hard this is for me. And I know like the food quality is gonna be an important piece of this. So 
let's make sure that we're spot on with this. But that's definitely like if I I need the accountability there and I really benefit from that because otherwise outside of like blueberries, like I'll, you know, I'll eat a lot of fruit, but veggies specifically, it's like, uh, this has been sitting in my meal prep for a long time. It looks kind of nasty. Like I might not work that in. So that's something that I really need accountability with as well. All right. Well, shifting gears a little bit. Um, next question. What are your thoughts around German volume training? Um, you have any thoughts on this? Go ahead if you have. So this is 10 by 10, right? Yeah. 8, eight by 8 or 10 by 10. Or is it just a, a 10 by 10? I think there's they're essentially the same thing. There's like the Granda 8 by 8, and then there's German volume yeah. training, which is 10 by 10. So <laughs> I, I don't think it's a good idea, almost anybody. <laughs> I, I think if you're focused on like really bringing up maybe your strength in your squat, like your, your 10 max in your squat or something like that that's overly specific, and you only have access to a squat rack and a barbell, then maybe you use that. But it's like the, the stimulus to fatigue is ridiculously out of whack in that um, type of rep scheme. Or Well, I guess whenever I think of this, I think of specific squat. So I guess it doesn't have to be specifically squat, does it? It would be like you can use this for any movement. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was thinking, um, just on that one movement. So I guess, I mean, you could use it on other things that have a little bit of a better stimulus to fatigue, but most movements are going to be biased toward one particular muscle group or the other, or just like leave something out. For example, let's say you're doing like a wide grip pull up. Well, that's going to be great. Maybe for your, upper back, rhomboids, rear delts, but that's going to leave out your lats. And so then by the time you've done it by eight or 10 by 10 on that one particular movement, like you're probably exceeding recoverable volume uh, already without adding in something that's more specifically going to hit your lats and kind of giving you a little bit more even shape, which is what you're probably looking for. So I, I don't see any reason to use it ever. Um, I, I really can't think of a reason to ever use it. I, I was going to say unless in the trying to something that just could come up with anything. So I don't know. Can you think of any reason to ever use that? Yeah. So with German volume training, to my understanding, it is 10 sets of 10 for a movement with 75 seconds rest. It looks like the general consensus for German volume training is 75 seconds rest between sets. So yeah, I wouldn't use it. Um, out specifically, so like something we'll use on occasion is like a six by eight or an eight by eight for metabolic training specifically, right? So maybe we're using this as a deload, or we're trying to get some of the other the adaptations we would get in a metabolic phase. But it's understanding also like we're not getting close to failure in that until the final few sets of that six by eight or eight by eight, whatever it is. Whereas I don't think that's typically how German volume training is applied. So a couple things here. First of all, we know that once we're getting past about eight to 10 hard sets within a single training session, we're getting into the realm of junk volume, right? So basically we're at the point where we can, our body can only basically adapt to so much stimulus to a specific tissue within a training session. So first we're probably getting in the realm of junk volume just from the fact that we are doing so much, like we're doing 10 sets 
within a single movement, right? Now it could just be like one, one for chest, one for back, and we could be like right along that line. But secondly, if we're looking at then the rest periods only being 75 seconds, the thing to understand is that's, especially if we're doing a compound movement, that's not going to be a long enough rest period for us to reduce the amount of systemic fatigue we need to be able to lift, like to be able to get the best stimulus in subsequent sets. So basically the thing to understand is after we do a set, not only do we have to reduce local fatigue, so like fatigue within the specific tissue, so like maybe the burn subsides, that doesn't mean you're fully recovered. We also have to give our body time for our nervous system to actually recover. And if we don't give that adequate time, our body won't be able to recruit and fire as many muscle fibers or won't be able to fire basically muscle fibers as well. So we won't get as good a stimulus as if we rested longer, right? So even if it is like, it will feel hard, you will get a great pump, but you're not going to be recruiting as many muscle fibers and not getting as effective a stimulus as, as if you, as you would, if you would have rested like two to three minutes between sets and maybe but just to, to be devil's advocate on that, isn't that why it is a lower rest period so that you can do that without absolutely smashing yourself? I feel like if you had three or four minutes between sets, you would be able to use heavier weight. And that is the downside of that in that particular rep scheme. Because right. whenever we program like six by eight, it's intentionally lower rest. Like I'll use like 45 seconds, 30, maybe even 30 seconds rest on something like that. Because in that case, I'm looking for the metabolic stimulus. Right. And I mean, I think if you're using it for a metabolic stimulus, I think it's fine, but I don't think most people would use it for like a metabolic stimulus, right? Where most people are talking about hyper, when you see people talk about German, when you see people talk about German volume training, they're talking about it as using German volume training to pack on mass, right? Where it's like similar to how we wouldn't use an eight by eight or a six by eight to like try to get you as jacked as possible. Same thing here. Like if we just did four sets and we rested two to three minutes. And then later in the, later in the week, we did like another four sets for chest or another, like maybe six sets per training session. And we just had longer, longer rest periods between sets. Like it would probably account to about the same amount of time we spent, but it would be much more effective volume per set. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts on German volume training? All right. Last question. Uh, Betty Douglas asked, how many days a week do you strain train and what is your step goal? Yeah, I currently do five days a week. So I have um, an upper body, I have upper, lower, upper, lower, and then delts and arms. And my step goal is 14.5K per day. Wow. What do you got for us, Andrea? I do four days, upper, lower, well... So mine's kind of confusing right now because I I do upper, lower arms, upper, lower arms, upper, lower arms, but it's on four days per week. So like each week, my training days are in different order. Um, And then I'm doing 12 to 13,000 steps per day right now. Do you you like, go ahead. I'm a little embarrassed. Go ahead. I'll let Andrea finish her thought before I share my steps. Okay. (laughs) I, I was just going to say, do you like that split where, so it's basically like a, is it a five day cycle or a three day cycle? So I, well, it's actually six because okay. the second set of three is slightly different. Okay. Got you. Okay. That's interesting. How do how have you like that? So the purpose 
currently is to not be pushing super hard is to keep the um, total fatigue down. And so I would prefer just like upper, lower, upper, lower, repeating that on, on a weekly basis and being able to push a little bit harder, but it's, it is kind of fun to, to rotate the three and just like have what I honestly forget day, like day to day, what my training is going to be that day. So I don't know It's it's kind of fun, but it's also like, it's definitely not as effective for hypertrophy as if I were just doing like a upper lower split and pushing it a little bit harder, but that's not the, the aim right now anyway. So it's definitely different than anything I've done before. Yeah. Yeah, I know I've talked about, I know I've heard Brian Borstein, I believe, talk about like using, I think he sometimes uses cycles somewhat similar to that, but it's never something that I've used too extensively. All right, Jody, fill us in on where you're at. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I train four days a week, two upper, two lower body. And then as far as um, my step goal is 8,000, which I, with the desk job, sometimes it's very hard to hit. I'm generally fairly good at it, but I have to be super intentional with it. Um, when you guys sort of challenged on the uh, Instagram uh, step step challenge, I, I was getting between 10 and 12. But again, that was like so intentional um, because I do have a desk job during the day for the most part, sitting in meetings. And then when I'm home, I'm generally in the car running my kids to practice. So, um, so I feel like it's, it's a reasonable yet, um, challenge for me to even get that many in. So kudos to you guys. And there's, there's nothing at all wrong with that. That's the thing with clients is I don't want everyone to feel like they have to ramp their steps up extremely high. Very much. I'm always looking at, Hey, what's actually practical for you. And like, what can you do consistently we don't have to feel like you have to ramp your step goal up to 15,000, but it for yeah. sure does like take being very intentional. And that's the thing is like to do this, like I've had to be very intentional about getting a longer walk in the mornings about pacing between my sets. And it's, it definitely does take a lot of intention. Whereas I know like, because essentially, well, whereas I do have a lot more flexibility, I think with my schedule, like essentially like it's a desk job for like Andrea and I as well, but we have the benefit, well, I have the benefit of not having kids. <laughs> which is, I think, a big, big benefit there. Um, but I know like when I wasn't intentional about it and I didn't have a step goal for a period of time, my steps would fall like naturally between 4,000 and 6,000 per day. So it for sure does take, no matter what, I think it does take a good amount of attention. Yeah. And I actually like having a step goal for myself because it allows me to step away from some of the busy of life. Mm -hmm. So even just going outside and just feeling a bit disconnected, even if it's for five minutes. Um, it, although I have to be very intentional about it, I think it's just good from a mindset perspective as well. So it's the reason why I do work towards achieving it um, beyond just, you know, getting my steps in and the whole calories in versus calories out. Oh, uh, theory. Yeah. And I think it's, for me, it makes me a lot more productive to i really as you said it's kind of like a mental reset for me where i will always set a two to three hour timer i will work until that timer expires and then my time blocks are always split up by like a five to 15 minute walk right and that's kind of like my mental reset whereas when i come back to work i'm so much more refreshed and I'm like i can bring myself to it so much better so i really found it something that helps my productivity as well but um any other insights thoughts on that from anyone else cool no i think Do we we're have good. any other questions today no, that's it.
All right, team. And that is all we have for you for today. As always, thank you guys for tuning in and we will catch you all next time.